Well, good morning, everyone. It's now, uh, today is November 5th, 2023, and this is the first lesson in our class on pursuing contentment. And we started a topic of contentment. Uh, we taught a class on contentment uh, 20-something years ago when I checked. It's hard to imagine that we went through Jeremiah Burroughs' rare jewel 20 years ago, but it's been a while. So uh, why should we have a class on contentment? And some things are just hard to do over a long time frame. Some things are easier and some things are harder. Contentment is one of the hard things to do consistently over a long span of time. And I don't know why this... Uh, illustration is branded in my mind, but Marvin Olasky once commented about Jeremiah Burroughs' book on contentment that uh, he used he used this illustration of uh, many. I don't even think the organizations exist anymore, so it's a little hard to describe. But we used to have organizations called the Sheltered Workshop, and they would have people who had uh, mental disabilities. Uh, performing tasks and undergoing some vocational training so they could enter the workforce in some capacity. So they, they might be assembling things or separating things and you know, repetitive tasks that they would do. And this was, this was great for everybody. Uh, they were able to enter the workforce and be productive. But uh, in one of the jobs, they would be grocery sackers. And, and so this is obviously well before self-checkout lanes. You have this person who's collecting your groceries and is organizing them in a bag, and they train them what to do, and they do it. And then after a few months, they would start to put the, the bread in there, and then the little thing of donuts, and then they'd put the milk on top of it and everything else, and it would be squished. And they said, we need to fix this. So what did they do? They'd take them back for a little more training. And then they'd tell them, don't put the bread on top of the... Don't put the milk on top of the bread. And they say, okay, we got it. And then they go back out. Then a few months later, they'd come back and say, remember, you put the bread on top of the milk, not the milk on top of the bread. He said, contentment is a lot like being retrained at the end of the grocery store. You forget about it. Circumstances in your life change. Your ideas change. Your understanding changes. And then you forget, and all of a sudden, you're not quite as content as you once were. And so... Consider this class to be something of a refresher. If you've been putting the milk on top of the eggs or on top of the, on top of the bread, this is a refresher. If this is something new, then hopefully you'll have a better understanding and an enlarged understanding of what contentment is all about. So the, the topic is always appropriate, but is it appropriate, especially appropriate now? And I think it is. The short answer is. And you might ask, well, why then are we having a class right now on contentment? Is it something that you observed among us that you guys appear to be a particularly discontented lot and we all need refreshers? A lot of flat bread. <laughs> There's a lot of... <laughs> why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> I can't see out of my right eye, so I wasn't actually looking at okay. you. Okay. <laughs> so... 
that's a good question, but I don't see a lot of flatbread, although flatbreads are popular in a lot of people these days. <laughs> that notwithstanding, you guys are not flat loaves. But we just had a class on meditation, and we understand in meditation how important it is that we use our minds to be filled with good things, to organize our thoughts, to contemplate the world around us, to direct and engage the heart in a pursuit of conduct that our lives might be ordered a certain way. So one vital aspect of the practice of meditation is contentment. There are others, but contentment is one of them. So contentment requires us to spend quite a bit of time thinking deeply about who we are, where we're at, what our lot looks like. It's kind of an old way of thinking about it. Um, What do we desire? Why do we desire it? What are we going to do about all that? How do we walk in this world with a frame of mind of whatever contentment is in a way that reflects the beauty of our minds and our desires and what God wants us to walk through? And so consider this the first practical application of the doctrine of meditation is contentment. And so the class, the class on meditation was the, the biblical practice of meditation. It was, had a lot of uh, ideas about the importance of our thoughts. But this class is titled Pursuing Contentment because we're, we're leaving, we're, we're not just embarking on the theory. I don't want you to be well informed about what contentment is, especially for the flatbreaders around us, right? It's so that you guys have the refresher course you need and you leave, you leave Walmart or Aldi's or Sprouts or wherever with your grocery bags intact. So that's why we're starting contentment, uh, is let's put into practice what we've been learning about meditation and then uh, see, what, see what comes of it. All right, so... I like when we, when we, this is, this will be a, 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 this is a tentative roadmap uh, on what we're going to do here. We're going to take a look, a survey of the word and ideas of contentment as they're expressed in the scripture. Uh, And we're going to spend quite a bit of time on defining contentment. It's a little more elusive than what you might think it is. And if we can identify some of those nuances, they might help us understand better the elements and how contentment has tentacles that reach lots of areas in our life. And then we'll spend some time learning contentment and what the scopes and implications are of contentment. What does it require of us? Uh, What about the dangers? I've got learning in here twice. Maybe we need another refresher before it's done. Uh, What does contentment in heaven look like? Why would people be content in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, We have lots of things that we look forward to in heaven, but is contentment one of them? Kind of interesting. And then we're going to look at objections and hindrances to the practice of contentment because there there are plenty around us. Um, So uh, with with that in mind, if there are elements of the idea of contentment that you guys would like to have some more time spent on, want me to focus on, drop me a note, let me know. The class isn't written yet, so we have lots of opportunity for course corrections. 
as we work our way through it. So let's look at a survey here of, uh, of what we're on. Perhaps one of the more, maybe the most famous phrase regarding contentment comes from Paul's epistle to the Philippians in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Well, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So throughout this class, throughout the course of this class, we're going to come back to this passage a number of times. We're not going to take it apart today. Uh, Consider this to be the cornerstone of the class in terms of uh, the um, importance of contentment. I don't think it's the most important passage on contentment. I think there are other passages that might recommend, but it's certainly the most popular. And if you've ever been in a in a seventh grade youth organization, this has your charter verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me for soccer clubs, little league baseball, and everything else. And it's worth noting that Paul's speaking about contentment. Not about beating Ponca City <laughs> or Perkins. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll caution you on using that verse because what you're saying is that I can be content anywhere at any time. So before you hang that verse on your wall, you might think of the implications <laughs> of it. Uh, but that's, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at a bunch of things about contentment. But this is something that Paul has. Now, it's also worded in a way that is not uh, directly given to us by way of imperative. Paul says, I'm talking to you about things that have happened to me, and by the way, I've learned to be content. He doesn't say to these folks, I'm telling you, I'm telling you again, I'm telling you for the third time, or I'm telling you for the first time, you need to be content. So it's not given to us in quite the imperative, but it's given to us by way of example. And I think by implication of that, Paul is saying contentment is something I learned. I I had to learn contentment. And you can learn it too. So he's setting himself up as a model where he's also, as he says in other places, be imitators of me as I am following Christ. Jesus was content. So we're we're not starting the class with talking about how contented Jesus was and is. We're starting here with what Paul is saying. So don't let yourself be distracted by, there's no direct command here that we need to be content. Paul's commanding us, but he's commanding us by virtue of his example. Now there are other places we'll look at where the language is, is, is much clearer, more direct by way of command to tell us what to do. So we'll, we'll look at those things. We'll, we'll see those things. But if Paul says, I had to learn this, you should be expected to have to learn it as well. And what does that mean? It means, in part, you're not going to do it very well a whole bunch of times. Right? That's that's the implication of what he's saying, is that, uh, can you imagine Paul? At some point he's saying, why is this happening to me? Or 
I sure could use something different, or this isn't what I anticipated. It's not what I want for my life. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things he had to say at one point, and then he had to realize, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't respond that way. How should I respond? What should I be thinking? What should I be feeling? How should I be experiencing this? And it's something he had to learn over time. And how did that come about? Well, we're going to look at all those things. We're going to, we're going to see what does the story of the scriptures tell us as it relates to this idea, this grand idea of contentment. It's a huge mental exercise. It's a huge mental exercise. It would be easier for me to ask you all to become deadlifting power champions than it is for me to say you need to think more deeply about being content. But Jesus says that my grace is sufficient for you. So we're going to learn there's a, it's not all just imperative. He's saying, I've got something to help you over here. And that's what Paul is going to teach us. He's going to teach us it in a variety of ways. So let's think for a minute. We just learned here that Paul says he learned contentment. What in the world does he mean? When somebody says they're content, what are we, what are we saying? What words do you associate with the idea, the word contentment, or the idea of contentment? What, what comes to mind? Suffering. Okay. Think about Paul and all the things he talks about. He gives a long list. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was stoned. I was... And then, uh, so what are the all things that he learned? Uh, and in James, he talks about kind of all joy when you've been tested. Just the testings and the sufferings that he experienced, perhaps, that led to the, my grace is sufficient for what? In that context, the thorn in his flesh, you know, there's another trial. That grace is sufficient. So I think of trials and testings and sufferings. Good. What else? Complete peace of soul. Complete peace of soul. Peace of soul. That's not, good. Not Inner peace. Inner peace. Inner peace. I like that. Cool. Inner peace. What else we got? Having an understanding of the the. the phase of life you're in or the situation you're in, you know, grasping it that that's where you're supposed to be. Perspective, maybe. Yeah, Is that a, okay, that's good. What else? The ability or the capacity to rejoice in your situation. That sounds pretty good. Which I think it's in the same chapter where Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah. What else? Being satisfied. Satisfied, yeah. What else? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Some gratitude. Okay. Those are important ideas. What else? This is kind of along the lines of grads, but just as I get older, I realize it's understanding the providence of God. Understanding providence. Cool. Woman after my own heart. (laughs) That worked out well. <laughs> Maybe an eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. That's good. Surrender. Surrender. It's good. Throw them out of here. It's okay. Mostly I've been thinking about cheese pizza. Cheese pizza. Okay. All right. Let me make a note of that. <laughs> yeah. What else? 
It's hard to top cheese pizza. Let's just be honest. I think of opposites, uh, anxiousness. So it's opposite of, uh, of that. There are a lot of opposites. We're going to look at a lot of opposites. It can always be worse. It can always be worse. It's relative. Yeah. If you have not, like Mark was talking about, the trials, if you've not been through the trials, you think you're content, but can you really be content in you know, whatever right. situation? So it's kind of relative. Sure. In a way. Yeah. It changes, I think. It does? Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, we're going to look at that. That's, that's a good I've point. I've been content when I didn't really know what it was. Sure. But then when I found out what it really was, I figured out I was content in some things, but not everything. <laughs> Inadvertent contentment. Mm-hmm. There we go. I was kind of thinking along with a similar thought process of not maybe not true contentment, but kind of a passive acceptance, like this is just the way it is and not a real... That's right. Not a real peace from God in the situation. Yep. Yep. We're going to look at that too. I'm, I'm glad these are all the things we want to we want to attack. Um, maybe a few words. Satisfaction. It's not a word we use a lot these days. Happiness. Serenity. Settledness. Sufficiency. Fullness, being filled, stoicism, right? Stoics are making a comeback, by the way. Is happiness equivalent to contentment? Is happiness the same as contentment? Raise your hand if you think happiness and contentment are largely synonymous. Oh, raise your hand if you don't think they're synonymous. Can intersect. Oh, sounds like we need Venn diagrams. I don't know. This is going to be good. Yeah. How about is contentment merely a mental state? No. Whoa. And that was an emphasis yeah. on that. Don't I, think so. Did she be noted? I heard no, I the tone. So. <laughs> That's deliberate. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know because I'm not a theologian. I do know that the day I learned, and I will never, I might cry when I say this, so don't anybody look at me. <laughs> when I learned that God is sovereign, I had some new contentment. Yeah. I didn't have fear. I didn't have discontent. I didn't have wonder. It hit me like a brick. Yeah. So, there you go. You're far more Excuse theologian me. than you think you are. Excuse yeah. me. No, that's good. Yeah. Is there a mental state included in contentment? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of nodding yes. All right. Um, is contentment a grace? Yes. Whoa, wait a minute. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> we have some differing opinions on that. I'm going to make a case that might not be exactly what you think it is. So, uh, but not this lesson, but soon to come. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to look at that. That's, it's, an, it's an idea. So, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. The, the best of theology in WWE right here. So, 
Well, let's look at uh, let's look at a way words get expressed in the Old and New Testament about contentment. So we're, this is a word and idea survey. We've just looked at some English words. I don't want to get too wound up in in the study of the words because I don't think they're uh, nearly as helpful as the ideas and the context of those ideas in Scripture, which we'll look at with much more um, detail. So our English word contentment really isn't used in the Old Testament in the way that we see it expressed by Paul. The idea of contentment is, but not the, not the word. We shouldn't, let's not get hung up if you open a concordance and you're trying to find what is the Old Testament saying about contentment. You're not going to find it through that one word. The, the ideas all throughout the pages, but the word as we've come to know it, not so much. Sometimes the words that we'd be looking for might indicate consent, which is different, and it's a different context. We're not going to focus on that, but because you might encounter it, we're going to look at some references to that so you can say, hey, that's not what we're talking about over here. That's an important idea, but that's not this idea. It might might indicate being filled or might indicate being satisfied. Now we're getting a little closer. We, we've got some words coming in by way of analogy. So, so let's, let's take a look around here. And uh, one of the key words, sabah, uh, is often used with reference to physical objects. Now, I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. So contentment certainly involves physical object, objects, right? I mean, it involves us, we're physical objects, involves the world, we're physical objects. So we're not divorcing the idea that contentment is an immaterial thing. It involves material things. But look at Exodus 2.21. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. The context is not really, you don't need more to get the idea that we're not talking about an inward state of peace sort of like Paul was talking about. That's not the idea so much as he consented or maybe he acquiesced a bit. Uh, Not saying they're completely different. They're related, but that's not what we're really after here. And Joshua says, uh, Joshua 7, 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content or maybe even resolved and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Not the inward satisfaction that we were looking for, but an important idea here. Job 10, if I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. I'm filled. See my misery. It's one of these uses of the word. That's not where we go to learn about contentment, but we can see this expression of being filled, which is part of contentment, is being expressed here. Exodus 16, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with what? With bread, these physical objects, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So there's a sense in which they are being filled up, right? That's an idea. Same word. Genesis 37, 27, Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let... Not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Not sure we're advocating a happy state there, right? They were consented, they acquiesced in the, uh, the decision that had been made. So the Old Testament has different ideas. This isn't all of them. It's just an, an introduction to 
how you might look up these words and what you might be expected to see. So contentment is wide and it's varied here. So let's look at some New Testament expressions of content and contentment. So in the word groups associated here, you might see the idea that this is sufficient. The condition is sufficient for oneself. Uh, you might see some emphasis that it's independent of external circumstances, that we're talking about something inwardly here that's not a derivative of external circumstances. The narrower definition, contented with one's lot, with one's means, through the, through the, though the slenderest. So it's not through an abundance. There's a happiness with less. A contented mind with its lot. Now that's, that's something I think we can latch on to as we think about this expression of meditation and the practice of it, that there's a mental state involved in here. Finally, it might mean to be satisfied. It might be satisfied. So there are other more nuanced words, and the, the word groups involve revolve around being filled, being satisfied, the word self, the, the auto-grouping of the words. So contentment is expressed through some similar terms, but there are some narrow definitions as well. And so let's look at a, um, a collection of words to help illustrate this wide idea of all the different types of things that might be involved in the state of contentment. So we'll start here in uh, 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, ha- always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for, it, for every good work. So this is, this is a really fascinating picture because he's telling us here, all, always having all sufficiency. That's the word we're looking at here. But it's God making grace abound to you. So that sufficiency is being provided by something. It's a topic we're going to look at with much more detail as we move along. But I want to draw your attention. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 is an important idea in the family of contentment definitions. Matthew 25, 9, but the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. This idea of enough, sufficiency, sufficiency by itself. It's not necessarily uh, accompanied with grace, but it's simply the idea that there's an enough of something. As a side note, this word came up in uh, a text interchange I had with Bugsy this week. Uh, Josiah asked to take a trip to help with some language surveys, and he's going to be gone and uh, out of cell coverage in such some area wherever language group is. And, and so she's not going to get to talk to him a lot over the next 10 days, forlorn and all that. So I said, look, you can always call me. Is not one dad enough and she replied enough is an apt word (laughs) enough is an important idea in contentment (laughs) Luke 3 14 likewise the soldiers asked him saying and what shall we do so he said to them do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages well that's interesting 
John the Baptist telling these soldiers, you can be content, be content with your wages. John 6, 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is what? It's not sufficient. It's not enough. It's, again, part of this word group. For every one of them may have a little. John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is what? It's sufficient for us. So we, we talked about different ideas, and sufficiency is an idea of contentment. And we're going to explore it with some detail. Come later. Third John 10, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. He's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with what he's done. So we've got an idea here. This is an important content and contentment idea. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Now godliness with contentment, or that ought, autarkeia, it's great gain. It's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. This is a very important verse. You get an idea that uh, even from, from Paul's use of it in Philippians 4, here we see in John's use, we are contented and we are satisfied. Those are the two words that we're using here. Godliness with contentment. And with these we shall be satisfied. Second Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is enough. It's enough. And in Hebrews 13.5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be satisfied with such things as you have. So this idea of sufficiency, enough, filling, satisfaction seems to be important in this brief survey. I don't know that satisfaction is a word we use as much when we're thinking about contentment. Now you can kind of see contentment in a passive state, right? You can see it that I can endure. Maybe you're a stoic. I have enough. That's one element, but if you turn that thing around, a person, would they say just as equally, I'm satisfied? It's not exactly the same thing, is it? So this idea of satisfaction and being filled comes into contentment. It's something we're going to have to figure out, figure out what it means. I don't think most people know what it means to be satisfied. I think you have the opportunity to learn that, Right? Now, I can instantly tell how old some of you are not. <laughs> right? Do you even know what the lyrics of this song are? I mean, the lyrics are kind of dumb, really. They're not that profound. But the chorus, the chorus is very profound. And it's the part everybody remembers anyway, right? I'm kind of wondering now, how many people have never heard this song? <laughs> how many people... <laughs> Might not even know what I'm talking about. I can't get no satisfaction. 
Now, it's clever. What's that? <laughs> yeah, I think we've sung enough already. <laughs> yeah. But this is a popular idea. Now, I don't know what Jagger, I don't even know who wrote the song. Maybe Jagger didn't write it. I don't know if the Rolling Stones wrote it. I don't remember. The, but the point is, the world can walk around singing, I can't get no satisfaction. Why is that? It's because it's a tough thing to acquire in your own efforts. It's a really difficult idea for something that you can accomplish on your own. And I don't think most people do it. I don't think they even come close. I think deep down a lot of people are profoundly unsatisfied and therefore <clears throat> discontent. So it looks to me like this is a reasonably complicated topic. There are lots of nuances to it. I think it's intellectually attainable by everyone here. It's not that hard, but it's a little tricky. And we want to make sure we pick up on these things that are nuanced in small degrees. What does it mean to be enough? What does it mean to be satisfied in it? So uh, I do not want you guys to feel like you're stoics by the time this is done and you can take whatever is dished out. That's not the point. This is not an endurance marathon. All right. If you think it may require that, you're wrong. We're going to look at something very, very different. So I'm going to read a passage here that kind of hit me. Two different passages from Ecclesiastes regarding satisfaction and why I think satisfaction is a bigger part of understanding contentment than is maybe initially appreciated by many. So in Ecclesiastes 1, this is the opening of Ecclesiastes. The preacher is told this vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity, right? It's vapor. It's quickly gone. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises. The sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south, turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which, from the, place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So there's an interesting expression of the idea of satisfaction. The earth has this rhythm to it. I mean, how come the sea never gets full? Well, it's got this cycle to it, right? But why does he mean by the eye is not satisfied with seeing? Why would you put that in there? Why would that be included in Ecclesiastes. Why is the ear not filled with hearing? Very Hebrew way of expressing it, right? The eye isn't satisfied. The ear hasn't been filled up yet. Nobody's going to experience everything in this world, certainly, and the world's going to continue on, but where's the satisfaction at? I think it's one of the lessons being, or questions being asked in that opening passage of Ecclesiastes. But it's not the only one. Because in chapter 6, the author returns to it again, but this time in a little more pointed way. Let me read this first seven verses. 
There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. Mind you, he says there's an evil, not a phenomenon, but there's an evil seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it's an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity, departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than the man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Ecclesiastes, throughout the book, is asking some important questions about what's the purpose of life? What's going on? Why are we here? What do we do about it? By the middle of the book, in chapter 6, he's describing a great evil. So, what is labor for the mouth? What does he mean by that phrase? There is labor for the mouth. What do you think he's talking about in this passage? Yeah, there's a kind of an endless cycle to it, right? Yeah. Does it seem like a particularly cruel thing? He calls it an evil to give a man riches, wealth, and honor. Give him enough that he lacks nothing. So the idea is expressing it negatively, right? He's, there's, there's no gap left. Everything you could possibly want. All he desires. So there's a coupling there, right? He lacks nothing. He's got all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to eat it. Wow. There's an element of being able to simply appreciate and enjoy what God has done, isn't there? And one of the expressions... Being set forth in Ecclesiastes is an evil is having things that you cannot enjoy, you cannot appreciate, you cannot behold. They can't be taken with yours. And then he communicates this a little further, but his soul has no goodness. How would, how would you like to live your life having it marked with the idea that your soul had no goodness? That's poverty. Poverty cannot possibly be described merely in terms of material things. What if you had a soul that had no goodness in it? This is a great evil. Pile up riches, pile up honor, everything you could desire, God gives it to somebody else. You have no power to appreciate or even consume it. You have lived your life without the ability of being filled with goodness. Not things, but goodness. Friends, let me tell you, if you live in a discontented state, you are wasting your life. Just like we learned in meditation, that if you give your life to vain thoughts, Paul makes it abundantly clear, you've wasted your life. Your life was meant to be thinking about something. In the art of pursuing contentment, one of the things we're seeing is that your life was meant to be filled with goodness. 
and to be able to appreciate it. Your circumstances are not what dictate that. What Paul is describing is what he has learned is having a life with fullness and abundance and satisfaction, regardless of his material conditions. Contentment's a big topic. It's an important topic. Um, I'm going to summarize a few of the things that we've covered today that contentment has to address fulfilled and unfulfilled desires. We've got to be able to understand the role of desire in learning contentment. We're going to pick that up downstream here a little bit. I think it's not as simple as we make it out to be. The body has needs, right? But if we live only for the body, we're missing out on the soul being filled with goodness. The soul has desires. Soul has needs. We can't ignore what the body needs. It can't be all about the soul. It's got to be a combination of the two. What does it mean to be satisfied? What is dissatisfaction? Can you get satisfaction? Or not? We'll have to see. What role does happiness play in all this? Do you want to be happy? I'd like to be happy. What about that peace of mind that was mentioned earlier that goes along with those things? I think those are the things we need to figure out because I believe that's what Paul was describing when he was describing contentment and the things that he had learned. He wrote that from a jail, right? So it can't, I don't, the, the, the drama involved in thinking about Paul's claims usually revolve around being in this jail, right? How bad could it have been? Well, if you think about contentment in this dramatic fashion, it was a dungeon, it wasn't a jail. You can always increase the drama around Paul's circumstances on how bad it was, right? And so pretty soon he was, he was in a pit 100 feet below ground level, right? I mean, you can... If you focus on that drama, you're missing the point because nobody here's in a jail in Rome. Nobody's on trial for their life. And, and if you think that Paul was somehow content in all that, then he's really nothing more than a Marvel superhero. And we might hold him up, but look, you don't have any chance of getting there. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about how pleased he was with what God was doing in his life. And he wanted others to know, look, don't focus on these circumstances alone. I've, I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned these things. When you see the bigger picture of the scripture, we have other ideas such as satisfaction and goodness that have to be addressed in the realm under this idea of contentment. And that's what I want to explore in this class. So we have a few minutes left. Be happy to entertain questions or comments about this. I think the two words that are absolutely linked to the other one is passages are all and enough, right? Mm -hmm. And you can have all the money in the world, but is it enough? All the food is it enough? Is that an emotional state that you're looking at? Um, when it's all things, all grace, yet that should be enough. But is it to us? 
a big distinction between those two words throughout the whole thing. And there's there's a big gap between those two. When I was a boy, Father Burkhammer, aptly named, uh, <laughs> used to slam his cane on the desk and he'd say, now that's a $20 idea right there. If I had a cane and I was a priest, I'd say, that's the $20 idea right there. I'm pretty sure inflation is... <laughs> inflation <laughs> means that's not enough. <laughs> what other questions or comments you have? Building on that same idea that maybe the categories... We're talking about categories of where all formed up, like Tony mentioned, the great distinctions of couple of material, it could be food or money. I was thinking of uh, natural, physical, mental, alien, or self. They make that up. This was just preached last week uh, in Stephen's sermon on tribulation. The very same thing. Where these categories, these, uh, I think he used the word form. These forms of tribulation where they tend to come, and the exact correspondence to where uh, turmoil of soul, as opposed to peace of soul, when they come, along with the exact same lines, the physical, the physical body of, uh, use the word alien, which is, which is interesting, but, uh, what other people are doing, what others are doing, or in that self, etc. It's the same exact. Any other comments? I thought, I thought the Christmas Carol has a lot of really good examples of this idea of enough versus contentment because, you know, Scrooge has a lot of money and he's not happy or content. Like, he thinks he needs to earn once more and that the only thing that will make him happy and is more money. And then in the end... His, all of his memories, thinking of all, and his experiences of people being happy and content with what they had, even though it was very little. So, I thought you would appreciate the, the Scrooge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, there's Scrooge is always appropriate. <laughs> That's right. Any other comments? All right. Let's pray.